They reshuffle the cards every morning, okay? Every morning the cards are reshuffled. Right now, well, you may not be working, or you may be working, but tomorrow morning, the reshuffle of the cards. Your agent calls and says, Matt, there's a show on ABC and they want to see you, and everything changes. Every morning, everything changes. Sometimes for the bad, but sometimes for the good. you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. You probably know today's guest as Bobby Bacala from The Sopranos. Maybe you've been watching him since 2015 on Blue Bloods. He's done 88 episodes of that show. Uh, his name is Steve Sharippa, and he is just such a great guy, really funny, tons of takeaways. Uh, incredible story because he did not come to acting until he was almost 40 years old. He was born and raised in Brooklyn, low-income household, four siblings, got his way out, played basketball in college, went to Vegas, worked in nightclubs, and didn't realize that he wanted to act till later on. But you're going to hear really, one, he's going to make you laugh. And two, he's going to make you realize that there is always hustle involved if you are pursuing a life in the arts. Uh, this guy has written best-selling books, New York Times best-selling books. Um, he's produced shows. He's always up to something. He's got Talking Sopranos now with Michael Imperioli, which I did recently. It's a huge podcast. Um, he's just He's always going, always moving, and uh, such a great attitude, uh, no ego, really funny. I really love him. I think you're going to dig this conversation. Before we get to it, if you are pursuing a career as an actor, a writer, a filmmaker, if you're in any field that is not just A to B, consider checking out the link for 10,000 No's Insiders Community. It's in the show notes. You can also go to 10,000nos.com. It is a group of like-minded individuals that are looking for community, accountability, uh, looking to be pushed, to be encouraged, to be in a safe place. And we do live video calls every week, and we discuss really the themes that are discussed on this show with the guests, but we apply it to your particular situation and work through problems and help you strategize and kind of continue on taking your 10,000 no's as you go to the places that you are looking to go. So check that out, 10,000 no's insiders community. And for now, here is Steve Sharippa. A little warning to any parents listening with children nearby. Put the earmuffs on. We've got an explicit rating on this one. Couple of F-bombs thrown down. Maybe more than a couple. Your first credited, you know, your first credit on IMDb is in 1995, which sure, I guess it's a while ago, but it's not that long ago for as much as you've done. I mean, you have done a lot and you, and Sopranos was only five years after that. Um, I'm just kind of curious, you, you know, 
I, I kind of want to get a little bit of the backstory because I think your story would be inspiring to people that are, you know, people are looking to reinvent themselves and everything. It seems like you've just, you've done a great job of reinventing yourself. I mean, you came at this pretty late and you're super successful. What, very, very late. Yeah, very late. You know, uh, I'll be honest, you know, uh, Matt, never had any aspirations at all to perform or you know, I was working at the hotel in Las Vegas. I got the job in 1986. Before then, I had been a bouncer and a maitre d', and I worked in restaurants and nightclubs. Nothing to do with show business, really. And uh, I, I, the Improv Comedy Club, they hired me to start the room. They had a stack of chairs and a bunch of tables, and they said, uh, make us a showroom. I got the job. It was paid $15,000 a year. This is 1986. Not that long. You know, it is 40, yeah. you know. But it was, sh it was shitty money. Uh, but I was taking a shot, you know, to, to go like from the nightclub into a hotel. That was kind of a huge jump. So I did that. Now I'm working with all these comics. Don't know anything about comedy. You know, uh, I mean, I like comedy. I went to comedy clubs once in a while, you know, when I was younger. And now I'm working with all these comics. Some of them are doing Carson, you know, or some of them are kind of half famous, famous, you know, Richard Belzer, Bill Maher. Uh, you know, they were already well on their way. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell, you know, so I'm working with these people. They work for me. There's three comics, four comics a night you're meeting these guys, but never, never. I mean, I remember once in a while, like a, like an MC would uh, come up late and, I, and close the show and there was no one on the stage and I would never go up there to say goodnight, folks. I was like embarrassed. <laughs> Completely different job. And then one of the comics, Bruce Baum, who had been around a long time, said, you know, I'm doing these sketches, like little films, five-minute films for Fox. Fox had a show. It's called Sunday Comics. And uh, he said, I wrote something. You want to do it? And I read it. It was the first time I ever read a script. And I flew to L.A. And I did this little sketch. It was him and some other comics. And it was a lot of fun and uh, silly. And that's the first thing I ever did. And, and I, I know it sounds like a cliche, but taking the plane home, I kind of got a little high from it. I was like a little buzzed, like a little excited. I How mean, old uh, were you at this point? Uh, 30 something? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Uh, this got to be in the early 90s. So, yeah, I'd say I was in my you know mid 30s, 36, maybe something like that. 37, yeah. something like that. And it was just, hey, that was fun. And then the casting director called me and, you know, had seen me in it. You know, it was a scale, little film, you know. Uh, and she put me in another one. So it was kind of fun to me. I, I, it wasn't about the money, you know. Uh, I had, I was making, by this time, I was making quite a bit of money. It turned out to be a, like the job of your lifetime, you know, like a really good job. So... I had the freedom, like, kind of to do what I want. I was a boss. And suddenly, I, you know, now they come uh, in Vegas and they uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas is casting. And I go read for uh, 
Terry Gilliam, yeah. the director, and I get that. And then Chicago Hope comes in, and I get that. I didn't even have headshots. <laughs> yeah. It was a complete hobby fluke. Like, hey, you know. So then there was a casting director, Ray Favaro, good guy. He would call me at the hotel. Hey, I got something. You might be good for So I read for some shit. Never took a lesson. Didn't know anything. Just kind of. I remember Chicago Hope. You know, I go in to read. I'm so green. So they're behind the table, the producers casting, you know, and I walk in and then the casting director goes, this is Steve, you know, Sharipa, blah, blah, blah. And the guy goes like, you know, like he don't want to get, I went, sit down. You don't have to get up. I see it's, a, I see you're annoyed. Stay down. Don't worry. <laughs> I wind up getting the job. <laughs> well, no, that's the, it's so, it's so cool to hear this because that's what I guessed is that what was the job that you were doing that was making you money though? It was that job. At I the was hotel? a maitre d'. I was a maitre d' in the showroom. Yeah. So if you wanted a good seat, you had to tip me. I wore a tuxedo every night. I had 50 something people working under me. Uh, I had all three shows and then big shows turned out to be, and I could set my clock, my watch to it. I worked for nine years, six days a week. I didn't want to take a day off. That's how much money I was making. So I'm making 300, 400, 250 a night. Now, this is in the 80s. Yeah. You know, I had no money. This is the late 80s, the 90s. You know, I'm making uh, quite a bit of money. You could set your fucking clock Monday, Tuesday. You know, the showrooms are packed, the comics. We got the show with the topless crazy girls. We got female impersonators. And I was running all of them. So suddenly, you know, I, you know, listen, I grew up on welfare. Suddenly I'm making money. Yeah. I'm making nice money. I bought a house. Then I built a big house. You know, so I was living just a fine life. I got married in 1989. I had two kids. So it wasn't, it was a hobby. It was a, a fun. It was a joke. Of course, I'm competitive. I played basketball in college. I want to do good. I don't want to just, so I'm, now I want to learn. And now, uh, you know, I'm getting little things. I did this mockumentary, Adam Rifkin who's a real director. He put me in three of his things. He, he wrote Jumanji 2, Mouse, uh, Mouse Hunt. Uh, I meet him, I don't even know how. And they come to shoot at the Riv and, and uh, they put me in it. Now I'm at the premiere in LA. You know, like little shit. Then Kevin Pollack, he was a comic. He put me in a thing. Robin Williams was in it. Good people in it. Flew to San Jose. I played like his bodyguard. Uh, it turned out they showed the clip of me when he was promoting the show on the Tonight Show. Yeah, like a fluke. Well, but this is what I, what I, how I interpret it is like you say you didn't take any classes, but to me, your money gig was like live theater, basically. I mean, you're dealing with people. You're dealing. You're 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 in a public setting. People are coming through. So th that's what you you've struck me as like you're just. You know, you're a good guy. You're easy to talk to. You're funny. You you are who you are. You're comfortable in your own skin. And that is your acting classes. I mean, your life is kind of your yeah, thing. You and that's know, why people cast you, I think, because you're real. You're not full of crap. So at the, at the beginning, you know, what you see is what you get. So now uh, there's an agent that I know. He had a big agency. You know, it was like a, you know, a third tier, but a lot of good working actors. Real guy. 
And we're friends. And, you know, he would come to Vegas on the weekends. I get him a room. He was a gambler. And I, I sat down with him and I said, listen, you know, would you help me? So he hip pocketed me. Now I'm taking classes through the casting director, Ray Favero. He would come up to my office, work one on one with me. Yeah. So he would come in. I'm locking the door. I'd tell him my secretary, I don't want to be bothered. You know, like, I, you know, come 95, I became an executive. You know, I stopped, you know, seating people. And now I'm like a fucking executive, which is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm an executive with a big office, the whole thing. And I'm booking acts and I'm booking big acts and comics and the Beach Boys and Frankie Valley and uh, the lounge and you know, many millions of dollar budget, you know. So now this guy's coming up. We're taking lessons. And I would go to L.A. I had either someone pick me up or uh, a comic uh, that would work for me. He would pick me up and then I would give him an extra gig. You know, so that was yeah. the trade off. Like, hey, man, pick me up, take me. I got like four auditions. So I was doing that under fives. Uh, sometimes I would fly, you know, like I said, it wasn't about the money and I started getting stuff. I, like I, you know, the more I started working and working at it, I started feeling more comfortable and I started getting stuff. I read a lot of books, yeah, a lot of auditioning books, uh, Michael Caine for people out there that want to learn and get into acting. Michael Caine simplifies it he has a video it's fantastic i love that video acting on film i love it exactly yep. you know i mean some of them like uh, david mamet and some other people i mean i don't even it might as well been a different language to me I, I didn't even know you know so i'm you know kind of feeling better now i'm going okay i'm getting this stuff if i try harder will i get more or is this it? Under fives, two line, three line, four line. Is that what I'm going to get? I work with, on Fear and Loathing, I work with Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro. Uh, I worked with Mark Harmon on Chicago Hope. You know, I was working with guys. I wasn't intimidated or starstruck or none of that. I, I, you know, that didn't, that never entered the picture, you know. So, uh, I'm, I'm starting to, you know, like I said, get some stuff. And now I'm kind of hating the job. And I'm going to my wife, man, I'd like to fucking, you know, get out of this job. It was too many headaches, you know. But I got two kids, got a big house. I'm like 40. Uh, house on an acre of land, living a good life in Vegas because I was in a position to do p uh, favors for people. You know, when you're in a yeah. position to do favors for people, you get favors back, right? The barter system of life. I could call Caesar's Palace, get tickets, you know, to Frank Sinatra in a second, you know. Uh, hey, I'm coming in, or Celine Dion, or whatever the big act was. Uh, I could go to dinner anywhere. I would do favors for them, you know, that kind of stuff. I kind of used it a little with the agent. I would get him a suite. You know, stuff like that. And then finally, I was very serious. I was kind of said, listen, I sat him down. I, 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 I'm going to get someone to help me. I want to try to really do this. You know, I'm going to try. If you're not going to help me, I said it nicely, but loud and clear. If you're not going to help me, I'm going to get somebody else to help me. You know, uh, I'm going to give it a shot. 
So he said, I'll help you. A few months later, you know, he's sending me out. I did a Pensacola. I don't know if you remember that show. It was like a syndicated show, Wings Basically, of Gold. Yeah. Uh, you know, I did a King of Queens. I did, you know, I'm not doing little shit, you know. Uh, and I come to New York for a wedding. And uh, I tell him, hey, man, you know, I'm going to New York for a wedding. See if you can get me to read for this show, The Sopranos. This first season had ended. My buddy was a writer on Saturday Night Live. Uh, he was at my wedding 10 years before. It was 1999. I got married in 89. And I, he was there and I said, listen, if you ever get married, I will be at that wedding. I went to New York myself. My wife couldn't come with me. So uh, he called. They faxed me the sides. I was staying in the hotel. And uh, I went uptown to read for George Ann Walken, a role of Skip Lapari, the FBI agent. Yeah. That big That's with Big Pussy, that Big Pussy rolls over with. So, you know, I work on it in the thing, and, you know, I work on it in the hotel room, and I got the stuff, and, you know, and I go, and it's just me and her. It's like a Friday at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. There's no one there. And I'm a little nervous, you know. Uh, I didn't really watch The Sopranos, to be honest. I had seen it, but I didn't, you Yeah, know. you weren't, yeah, diehard. And I never, I never had auditioned in New York, I don't think. All my stuff was in L.A. or Vegas, you know. So... Uh, I read it and she goes to calm down, calm down. It's just me and you. Just me and you here. Don't be nervous. What are you nervous for? Just the two of us, which calmed me down. And George Ann, uh, I love her to death and I owe everything to her, but she could be rough, I understand, on people. You know, she's told people, uh, you know, your teeth are too fake or this or that. You know, she's very outspoken, yeah, which is good and bad, right? So she was very outspoken. What are you nervous? It's me and you. So I read it. She said, I don't see you as an FBI agent. Uh, read this. We have someone in mind. And I cold read Bacala. Take a few minutes. And she said, that was pretty good. And she picks up my resume like this. All right, what is this? I was going to show you. <laughs> Don't lie on your don't lie on your resume. You know, people always lie on their resume, right? Yeah. And I said, it's a few lines here, a few lines there. I've never been an extra, mostly under fives, blah, blah, blah. She said, you know, this is a local hire show. I say, no problem. Let's hope we have that problem. Right? She said, if I get you to read for David, would you come back? I went. I'm thinking, David, who? I don't <laughs> know what she's talking about. Right? I don't even know what she's talking about. So, uh, so I go back and I go to the wedding, right? And I find out like the next day while I'm still in New York that I got a call back. You know, uh, they want to see me, you know, and I'm going, I'm not coming back here. I got to spend $500 for airfare, put myself up. I'm not, nah, fuck that, for what? couple lines you know and it's my wife she said go back you're only happy when you're doing this what are you working so hard for you know because i like i said i had money i didn't have fuck you money but uh, vegas you could live a lot different than new york city or los angeles you yeah. know yeah 
Yeah. You know, there's no state tax. You know, you could, everything's cheap, you know. Yeah. Uh, cheaper, you know. So uh, she was the one that talked me into it. Like another wife would have went, what are you doing? You're 40 years old. You got two kids. You're going to disrupt our life. I mean, you know, you know, and she said, no, uh, go ahead, go. So bought the ticket. Buddy of mine that died 9-11 picked me up at the airport. And which I find something weird about that, I'll be honest, you know. Yeah. Two of them, I had three best friends died. One picked me up at the airport, and the other one took me to your audition. It's kind of spooky. That is, yeah. I hadn't talked to them. We kind of lost touch for about 20 years. Then they came to see me a few, you know, like six months before. I hadn't seen them, and now here I am, and they come and... They pick me up at the airport, drive me. We go to Silver Cup. It's in the evening. hundred people there. And uh, I see guys I know, recognize actors. And I'm going, what fucking chance do I have? I mean, these are guys I see on TV, you know? So I, uh, you know, I sign in. I mean, they weren't all there reading for Bacala. They were reading for everything, you know? And uh, it's a long, skinny hallway. Right? I, guess I remember you it well, yep. And I'm sitting down and I just doing my shit. And my first scene, it had been a magazine. I worked really hard on it with the the acting coach, Ray Favero. He come up to my office and I really worked hard. Uh, by now I had a half-ass headshots. Terrible, <laughs> but I had them. Yep. I had a half-ass resume. I know. You know, it was real. And... Uh, I go in and it was like a magazine. So I bought a magazine like to put my sides in. Yeah. Cause you know, he's reading the magazine and, uh, but I was, it wasn't much, but I was off book. And, uh, I go in and there's like you know, 15 fucking 20 people in there. Yeah. You know, I just said, hello. I read with George Ann. David Chase said, that was really good. I said, thanks for seeing me. In the car, back to L.A. Back to L.A. because I was working on a TV show the next morning. And I get the call from George Ann. She said, I know I'm supposed to call your agent, but I had to call you. You beat out, you know, I don't know how many people. And, uh, you know, so I get the role. I call my agent. What does this fucking schmuck say? Don't take it. Don't take it. <laughs> Don't take it. You're crazy. They're not going to pick you up. They're not going to pay you. They're not going to put you up, pick you up. They're not going to guarantee anything. Do not take it. Wow. And I say, well, you know, I kind of want to try and take a shot here. I'm telling you, don't do it. It's an English fuck. We're no longer together. It's many years. <laughs> it's a real pompous English prick, right? And, uh, and I said, well, I'm going to do it. So he makes the deal, and I'm getting scale, you know. And uh, it was uh, one, well, you know, they always give you the one with a possible recurring right. in case you take a shit, right? <laughs> it's always that, right? They never say you got five episodes, right? Uh. So they guaranteed me one. I paid my way to New York. I stayed with friends or I stayed in a cheap hotel in Brooklyn. 
how to take car service to the set. And, uh, you know, I did my first scene with uh, Jim and uh, Finney Pastor and I think Paulie and Silvio and... And I was in. I did six uh, six episodes that first season. I joke, but it's true. It cost me about twenty four thousand uh, dollars, and I made about twenty two thousand. Yeah, people don't people don't get that. You know, yeah. I don't have to go into my story because I told it to you on your on your show. Um, but people don't. You know, get you got to invest in yourself. I mean, yeah. I was looking at myself, and I still do to this day, Matt. I'm a business. And, you know, Steve Shrip is a business, and I need to spend some money, invest in certain things. Uh, I've done numerous times pitch a show. Me and Michael pitched a show in 2013 that he wrote for me. We're Warren Littlefield. The three of us went out. I went out there for two weeks, flew, paid for it, put myself up, fed myself, you know, you're talking thousands of dollars. You know, yeah, I've got the money, but it's, I've done that numerous times. I yeah. mean, you've got to. Yeah. And you also know. for people to know that when he says Michael, he's saying Michael Imperioli and Warren Littlefield yeah. is a giant in our, you know, television industry. Uh, I, I got, I kind of want to keep on this track, but I also, I'm interested to go back even before the Vegas stuff and like a little bit of college basketball and a little bit of growing up in Brooklyn and, and, um, and like, cause, cause to me, you're, you're like everything you've said so far, um, adds up to me. You're, you're street smart, you're friendly guy, you're, you're savvy, you know, you're savvy. Like you said, you're in Vegas, you could do a favor, they could do a favor. Is that something, you know, you said you grew up, I know it's a low-income housing, you got siblings. You're, where are you in the pecking order with your siblings? Are you I'm in the siblings? middle. There yeah. were seven of us living in a two-bedroom, uh, I mean, in a, a very small upstairs apartment. It was a two-family house, middle-class neighborhood, a Bensonhurst, big mob enclave, especially in the 70s, 60s and 70s. Very big at the time. Yeah. Now, not so much. But back then, social clubs everywhere. I knew those people. Uh, I I knew the sons of those people. Uh, it was very commonplace. You didn't really know what they did. You know, like the baseball coach is a mob guy. I mean, how do you know, you know, when right. you're young? And then you find out, oh, I didn't know Joey's uncle just murdered five people. Wow, I thought he, he seemed like a nice guy. <laughs> so I always played sports, uh, baseball and basketball. Uh, so that kind of kept me on, you know, because it was, listen, I have friends that are cops that I grew up with and pharmacists and every uh, occupation under the sun. And then I... Grew up and played Little League with guy that did 25 years for murder. Yeah. So a lot of guys went left. A lot of guys go right. I don't know when that decision is made. But, you know, you all grew up together. Some, are, you know, businessmen and successful and some, are, you know. Uh, but the sports kept me, you know, on the straight and narrow. I went to John Jay College, played there, 
thought about getting into that world, you know, criminal justice. Then I uh, transferred to Brooklyn College, graduated, played three years there. Uh, was going to go to, my mother is Jewish, so I kind of qualified to play ball in Israel. Huh. I tried out for an uh, Israeli team. Uh, but they have, you know, all levels. It wouldn't have been their high level because they got real players. Uh, and they wanted me to work on a kibbutz. And that didn't sound so hot to me. So a uh, buddy of mine moved to Vegas. I don't even know what that is. What is working on a kibbutz? A kibbutz is like a, I, I believe it's like a commune, like you all live together kind oh, of. Oh, okay. You grow your stuff and you do this. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's not a cult or anything. And, you know, you play ball and you live, you Yeah. Know. Uh, so I didn't want to do that. That didn't sound, that didn't sound good. So uh, I went, my buddy of mine called me, went to Vegas. And I went there for like, you know, three months and I had, I said, this is what the fuck I've been looking for. It was a small town. I was, you know, single, small town. We lived together. Uh, we grew up together. Then another guy came out. And so I was there for three months. Then I came back. I had to finish up some credits. I really wanted to finish college. That was important to me. Uh, you know, and I had promised my mother. So I came back. I finished. And then when I graduated, you know, got in a car and I drove to Vegas. That was 1980 when I landed there. So how old and are you at I, that point? Like you're like mid, early 20s uh, or something 80, like that? I'm 23. Yeah. Yeah. 23, 22. 22, when I moved to Vegas. I get there in July. I think we got there July 4th, something like that. Drive, get there. I didn't want to be a dealer. I wasn't into that world. I was delivering pizza. And, uh, you know, the barter system. You know, I was always kind of a wheeler dealer. Fucking trading with the Kentucky Fried Chicken guy and this and that. <laughs> Doing crazy shit. But it just fit what I wanted. I mean, at the time, I, I just had enough money to go out every night. We went out every night. would go out at 2, 3 in the morning. Go out at 3. Yeah, yeah. Fucking crazy. You know, go out at 3, uh, come home, whatever, 8, 9, 10, sleep all day, go to work, do it again. You know, I uh, made enough money just to live uh, I, you know, I wasn't even thinking about, I didn't even know what the next move was. Yeah. To be honest. And then I, somehow somebody told me, uh, about a job in, uh, Paul Anka had a nightclub and I worked there and that kind of met a lot of people. And I worked there for like a year and a half. Then I got a job as a manager at another nightclub. It was different then. It wasn't the Vegas. Now there was no nightclubs in the hotels. There was none of that. Yeah. You know, it was the days of the people from Casino. Matter of fact, I knew the Joe Pesci character. He was a friend of mine, Tony Spilatro. Really? He, yeah, he was a friend of mine there uh, that I liked very much. He was very nice to me. I, I mean, I hear things and I see, but I never saw anything bad. Yeah. So uh, it was during those days, town, 350,000 people, kind of knew each other. And I uh, bounced around there, and then I finally got the job in a hotel. And uh, I moved to uh, Hawaii for a year, got tired of Vegas, uh, did that. How was that? How was Hawaii for a year? Nice. Yeah. Nice, yeah. What'd you, do for what'd you do for work there? Work in a hotel? I worked in a restaurant. Restaurant, I worked yeah. in a restaurant as a maitre d'. 
nightclub. It was a Highline, brand new restaurant overlooking the city in Honolulu. And then at 10 o'clock, a band came on and it became a nightclub until four in the morning. It's mm. like the hot spot. I still talk to some of them today. Uh, some of the friends I made, that's 1985. Wow. Yeah, 85. Yeah, long time ago. Uh, you know, and then, you know, I did start taking, you know, I still work with an acting coach today. Yeah. You know, all during the Soprano years, I worked with an acting coach. You know, Dirty Little Secrets. So did Jim. You know, a lot of actors. Oh, yeah, no. Howard, uh, uh, Harold Guskin. I love, he's got a yeah. book and he talks about Jim all the time. Yeah, no. Yeah. He's a craftsman. You know, I worked, I worked with a guy uh, in the East Village that was a tremendous help to me at the time. Uh, and I would go to his, you know, I know you're not supposed to show, in the, uh, show anyone the script, but I did. And I would go to his apartment, break it down, learn my lines, come back. Many a time I was learning. Uh, I was, you know, would do the scene with him. And then, you know, two hours later, I'm on the set doing it. Yes. So then I got really into that. And I, even now on Blue Bloods, if there's something difficult, I work with a girl named Joanna uh, Bexon, you know, so I did all that stuff. Uh, you know, getting out of the neighborhood was kind of a big thing. Like I said, it was a middle-class neighborhood. But my father was kind of a shit bum. I grew up on welfare. There was five kids. He didn't take care of any of them. So that kind of, I guess without being motivated, motivated me like what not to do. And I, you, know, you know what I mean? Like I may not be the perfect father. But uh, I know what not to do. She was horrible. So that was kind of a big deal, you know. Was uh, he around the whole time or did he take no, off? No, he was in and out. He was yeah. a half-assed, small-time wannabe uh, bookmaker. No longer with us? Is, or no. Is he, yeah. No. Did, did time a few times, you know, just a fucking not a good guy. He literally... Sat on the couch for 30 years. I kid you not, Matt. I kid you fucking not. Even after I moved to Vegas, he was on the couch watching TV, video games, lived on a measly check. You know, it was just incredible to me. Did not want to work. He was of the ilk that you needed to know someone. You know, people like that? Yeah. You know, people think, well, if you don't know someone, you can't get the job. <laughs> I would go... You know, he wanted to work at OTB. He would go, you got to know somebody. <laughs> it's fucking OTB. <laughs> Who do you got to know there? I mean, what are you fucking kidding me? You got to know somebody. I, I guess, you know, that applies for every job everywhere. Yeah. You got to know someone. I mean, if your cousin is, uh, you know, has an inside track and says, hey, Matt, you know, apply for this 7-Eleven job. It's an opening. I mean, you know, I mean, but he was of that ilk. And and it's a lot of people are, I realize. If you don't know somebody, you can't get it. Bullshit. Yeah. yeah. What about your mom? She sounds, she, I'm guessing she, she's she strong. She was good. And, she was yeah. good. You know, kind of a, a victim, I'd say. Uh, but wanted me to stay in college. Uh, she was the stronger one, you know. Uh, you know what I mean? She was the stronger of the two, I mean, he didn't even know what the fuck was what. I, I don't even know. It's, it's hard to describe, and I've tried to describe it to people, but 
It was just selfish, you know, just yeah. like, uh, I guess, kind of selfish and just really cared about himself. Uh, and, then, you know, we would, at times the power would be shut off. I mean, what could the power have been in 1972? Right. Like $17? What the fuck is that, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, uh, it's just something that, you know, you got, you got, ki you got kids, right? Yeah, I got two. Yeah. So I got two daughters. I wrote a book about raising daughters. Uh, I got two really good daughters, two great kids. And my focus was always that. It was always taking care of the kids and my wife and making sure that they were okay. You know, uh, I remember I was just telling somebody, in Nevada at one point, they had, they had a program, college, you know, you pay, one daughter was four years old, the other one was just born. If you paid at the time, it was $15,000. They were guaranteed a four-year college education. No books, no nothing but the tuition. I thought that was the, the deal of the century. I said, so God forbid something happens to me. I go broke. I'm fucked up. The kids could go to college. I mean, I was like first in line. I thought there was going to be like a thousand people there. There was like 10 people. Huh. Like I was first in line. I went down to UNLV and, you know, uh, you know, and, and bought this. I wrote a check. I went, shit, you know, that was always my focus. Take care of them. I only, you know, I had two conscious, me and my wife talked about it. Let's give them everything we can. And uh, that was not his focus. So I guess just from, you know, kind of doing uh, the opposite of what he did. Yeah, it's, it's kind of perfect for this show. The, the tagline on this show is failure is opportunity. And it's kind of like his failure was your opportunity. Absolutely. Like. You know, I mean, and I, you know, I barreled through, you know, I, I, I don't know if he he. I was acting at the beginning when he was alive. He died before I was on The Sopranos. Uh, I, I, I guess he would have been proud, but I don't know. He's kind of would be like a jealous guy. He would, he, he's like the guy at the party that he would come and, uh, hey, Matt, could you lend me $30? You know, don't tell Steve. You know, he's that guy. You know? Yeah, yeah. A gambler, you know, that guy. So it was weird. He never saw that. He saw me do some stuff, the early stuff, yeah. little bit parts, but uh, never on The Sopranos. But absolutely, uh, you know, the, the, the failure part, you know, I mean, I know you were an athlete. I think, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of like. I think we spoke about it. Show business and sports are very similar. Yeah, I feel. Yeah, same. You know, you have to focus. Many an athlete uh, can't mentally do it, and many an actor can't mentally do it. Yeah. You could be the bell of the ball in your fucking acting class. You know, yep. you could be that guy. Oh, my God. You know, Matt's so incredible. He's going to be a star. And then Matt goes to an audition and he shits in his pants. Yeah. You know, no. and that happens a lot. I mean, uh, and I think the same thing. The guy, you know, pitches, you know, 98 miles an hour and he gets on the mound in front of, you know, 40,000 people and he can't do it. 
Yeah. The, I mean, the other thing is just the slump. Like, think about a baseball player. Think about going into a slump. The mental game that you have to have when you have longevity as an athlete or as an actor, it's a mental game. I mean, it's it's like, I for me at least, I feel like that's, I mean, there's there's two components. There's more than two, but there's there's your artistry. But then there's also just like, can you stay in the game without cracking up when you you know you're just it's 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 sometimes it's dire, you know. Well, listen, I, I also you know this is the difference between a great hitter in baseball and uh, a good hitter. A great hitter goes up and thinks he's going to get a hit every single fucking time. I can hit this guy. I'm going to get a hit. Not, hey, I just got four hits. I'm probably going to pop up this time. No. He honestly believes in his heart, in his head, he's going to get a hit every time. He could hit this guy. A good hitter, eh, you know, I'm going to get a hit every four times. I'm a 250 hitter. Same thing with an actor. Guy goes in, I'm probably not going to get this, but no, no. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to get this fucking thing. And I don't care who I'm up against. I don't care if George Clooney's in the room. I'm going to get the job. Yeah. I want this job. You know, and, and if I don't get it, well, good. My friend could have it. But for now, I don't give a fuck about my friend. Right. I want this job, you know, and I and I honestly believe that. And, uh, you know, that's what I think separates a guy that has the longevity or a guy that can't do it. He falls apart on the set. There's all these little shits that mean nothing that I think too many actors, uh, you know, care too much about. You know, it's like, just, just let me fucking get in the room, bang this thing out, get the job. I go to the set. I mind my business. I know my lines. I'm cordial to everyone. I, I, I'm prepared. I go in. I do my thing. I'm gone. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. There's no bullshit. My water's not cold. My thing, my ride, the thing. I'm going in. This is what I'm going to do. Yep. I'm going to be loyal. You know, and there's a lot of guys shoot themselves in the foot. And there's sure there's a lot better actors than me, I'm sure. But I've been working for 21 years straight. Yeah. Yeah, you've done so much and, and so you know, consistently. So, I mean, is there luck involved? Oh, absolutely. Right place, right time. I'm a big believer in that. I'm also a believer. You better be ready when they, the bell rings. Yeah. You know, Matt, you better be ready when the yeah. bell rings. Because I do feel if you do this long enough and continue to do it the right way, you're going to get an opportunity sooner or later. And you have to cash in on that opportunity. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally agree. It's it's like, uh, you know, it's um, I had I, Kevin Bacon said this the other day. He he was talking about his career and just talking about how longevity, you know, it's the longevity. He's like, you could look at my my resume. There's a lot of things that nobody saw, but it's just the it's the it's the coming back. It's the it's that kind of like. Going back to the the athlete mindset, it's that that kind of relentless pursuit, and you know, not every not everything's going to go out of the park. You can really connect, and it's it's going to you know get caught at the fence by the outfielder, but you get up to bat again, and you and you you, you just know, listen, keep getting up to bat. The tide goes in, the tide goes out. Yeah, 
Yeah. You know, uh, you know, not every, you know, not everybody's here the whole time. You know, you can't be. So you got to kind of figure out a way without selling your soul. So you could still look yourself in the mirror. And, uh, you know, uh, I am proud of almost everything I've done. I, 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 there's a couple of missteps along the way. Uh, like, yeah, I should have never took that role or whatever. And you do it for different reasons. Uh, I don't believe in doing these backyard kind of shit movies that I'm sure you're offered and I'm offered. I don't think that moves the needle at all. I think, you know, just to, just to say, Hey, uh, Matt, what are you doing these days? Well, I'm doing a low-budget movie. It's 100 a day, and I'm shooting in Philadelphia, and it's about a mob thing. And for what? what, what yeah. why, why are we doing this? Why? I well, mean, what about a, a low-budget thing? Because I've done a lot of these where maybe they didn't see the light of day. Maybe they were not what I hoped they would be, but I felt like maybe it was going for something. And I actually did. Some of those that didn't pay me, I had great experiences and it's not necessarily rewarded in no, money. No, no, no. That's not what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, you mean like about, one that's like a, you I'm know I'm not talking about be. the money. I've done independent films that I loved. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've worked with good people that I would have never got to work with. Uh, Michael Imperioli wrote and directed uh, a movie, Hungry Ghosts. I worked with incredible actors. Paul Calderon, one of my favorite actors. Yeah. And, uh, Angelou Ellis. I mean, you know, uh, for the material, for the people you're working with, fine. But for me to do a movie, a bullshit movie, I'll break your fucking head, you break my fucking head. Right, right. head. And so I could say, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm working. Yeah, Matt, I'm working. Yeah, just finished three movies. Yeah. Bah, bah, bah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know? I agree. I mean, you do it for your self-satisfaction. Listen, I did a short film uh, that I absolutely loved and when I came home I worked like two days or three days Bob Giraldi who was a commercial director and uh, directed it and uh, it's called A Poet Long Ago and Pete Hamill one of my favorite writers wrote it and I got to meet Pete I was friends with his brother but I got to meet him and when I came home I, I said to my wife this is that's why I'm an actor yeah I had the greatest day I worked with a Boris, uh, I forget his last name, but a terrific actor. I came home, had nothing to do with money, you know, went to festivals. That I get. Yeah, the material. Yeah. The material, the people you're working with. This was, uh, boy, I really enjoyed this, you know. Yeah. And then there's that shit that I don't want to do, you know, and, and you know, uh, let me ask you something. You talked about before, changing the subject slightly, but you were talking about the first season of Sopranos. You recurred, you know, didn't make a ton of money. Did you eventually, did they ever make you a re- I mean, you did 53 episodes. Did they ever make you oh, a yeah, regular? Yeah, 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 was yeah, that yeah. in the next season, uh, yeah. season three? What happened, what happened, uh, Matt? Uh, so season two, I do six episodes. I never talked to David Chase. I've seen him on the set. He didn't say nothing to me. I didn't say nothing to him. I was kind of green, even though I had done stuff. 
people don't realize, you know, you kind of, they don't teach you that, you know, like just the basic stuff, right? You know, a lot of acting coaches in general, they've never been on a set. Yeah. A lot of it's theory, you know. Uh, but the last day, I'm going this way down Silver Cup. He's going that way. And I stop and I say, hi, Mr. Chase. My name is Steve Sharippa. I play Bobby Bacala. He says, I know who you are. Uh, I said, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity. And he says, yeah, we liked you. We'll see you again. We liked you. That made me feel good. Now, I want it so bad, Matt, I could taste it. I want to be a series regular on this show. You know, uh, I'm still working. Don't forget, I worked the whole time. I worked at the Riviera Hotel. I used six weeks vacation. I would tell my go in at nine in the morning, make sure all the bosses saw me, you know, the top five. And then I would tell my secretary, I'm fucking going to New York. Anyone's looking for me, I just left. Swear to God. I would call her like if I had a stopover in Chicago. Anybody looking for me? She said no. I would be gone for days. Would you be nervous that whole time while you're in New York? Like ah, something's going to happen? Nah. Or not? Yeah. It was, it was a job that could be done phone-wise, and she was covering for me, and no one really came looking for me. I did my job. I did my shit. And uh, her name was Patricia. She was great. She had my back, and uh, I would... That's how I did it. And then I told them, and they even gave me time. They were very, listen, without, without another hotel would have said, listen, either shit or get off the pot, pal. You're an actor or you're an entertainment director. What are you going to be? They were, they were good, you know. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm really fucking, I mean, that's what I really want. And, you know, the agent says, and he's true, they're not going to make you a regular unless they have to. So I go and read for a pilot for the WB. Remember the WB? I do. Nick Totoro. Great guy. Yep. Terrific guy. Good actor. A lot of fun. And I read for Nick's friend. I go in. I read. Boom. Okay. They want to see you. The next one was like kind of their version of a test. I go and meet. There's two other guys I'm going up against. Uh, I read with Nick, a bunch of people in the room. Long story short, I get it. They're going to hire me. At, I think at the time it was 10 grand an episode, which was way more three times what I was making on The Sopranos. Yeah. Right? It was in L.A. I think it was the pilot. I think it was a pilot. So... My agent did something right. He called and said, listen, Steve's going to take this. And I was going to take it. I had to take it. You weren't guaranteeing me anything. Yeah. You know, they could use me, not use me. And uh, they came back, like, very quickly and offered me to be a series regular because I was going to leave. And they offered me such a low amount of money, Matt. I mean, I, I, it was so low that it was like seven, seven thousand, seventy-five hundred an episode for seven episodes. I went, 
What the fuck? Did what you say no? Me? Did you say no and get I the money? I said no. I had no choice but to say no. I can't do it. I mean, it was impossible. I had to move to New York. And so they got the money up. Uh, I had to say no. And David Chase called me. David Chase actually called me. Uh, the phone rang, the cell phone. I was in my office. And I'm on pins and needles. The phone rings. Uh, picking a hope for David. Just like that. I had no choice. You know, hope for David Chase. And he says, hey, you know, what's up? And I went, hey, man, they're lowballing me. I, I can't. I can't go for this money. I've got two kids. And he said, uh, you know, you got a shot to be on the greatest, one of the greatest shows in TV history. I said, and there's nothing I want more, but I can't do it for this. I can't. And, uh, you know, he said, let me see what I could do. Came back and it was better. And they moved me, you know, they gave us money and moved me and airfares and they, you know, yeah. pumped it up a little better. Still was less than I was making at the hotel. I took a huge cut in pay. Oh, my God. I love to hear this because a people don't get it. Pay. People don't get it. You're a series regular on Sopranos. People people listening would be shocked to hear that. It's. I want to say, I want to say I was making about 150 grand a year at the hotel. And... I was making barely half that <sighs> my first season on the show. So I, you know, uh, I say, you know, I'm literally on the way. I give my notice at the hotel. You know, I'm always fucking scraping, man. You know, I tell, I tell my boss, listen, I could still book the comedy club and the lounge. I could still do this. Just the fucking phone calls. Yeah. So he says, yeah. So they give me three grand a month to do it, pay my phone bills. Yep. I did that for 10 years. Holy. I was a consultant God. to them. Yeah. And then I had an agency license. And then I still, uh, to supplement uh, my pay, uh, I booked a casino in West Virginia and a comedy club in Houston and a thing in Huntington Beach. So I was doing that while I was on the show. You know, like people are going, you're still fucking, Chris Rock said to me, you're still dipping your toe in that shit. I went, <laughs> I'm fucking making, I got to make money here. You know, I had to find other ways, you know. And matter of fact, uh, early on, they, HBO would send us to the call centers. You probably never went. No, no. They, early on, they would pay you uh, first nothing. Then they were given $1,500. They would fly me to St. Louis, say me and Johnny V, put us up at the Ritz-Carlton, you know, food, first class, blah, blah, blah. And we would go to the call centers and take pictures for the people selling HBO. Polaroids oh at the time. Oh, swear my to God. God. And then they would have a party for them. Hey, uh, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, one year I made 60 grand doing that. Then they upped it to 35. I was, come on, I could fly to Utah, Florida. I mean, wherever I got to go. I mean, for me, that helped my income. And I was doing Hollywood Squares. That's how I met Henry Winkler. I would do that, you know. Were you doing they, that on a regular basis? I, Hollywood do it, I did it six, seven, eight times. Yeah. Saturdays, they would fly me and my daughter. 
whatever they paid at the time, it was good money. Yeah. And I would go on a Saturday and do the five shows and, you know, meet all these people, which I loved. MC Hammer yep. and all these people that you would never meet, Dom DeLuise and, you know. Uh, so I was trying to do what I could, you know, to supplement the pay. Then I, I got a book deal. Uh, I wrote a book uh, that was early on. Season three, you know, uh, you know, season four came out. I, I had to try to find a way to. Did they renegotiate? Uh, and did you yeah, ever end finally, up going? Then finally I did. But I was coming from such a low place. Yeah, you can't, it's man. hard to get out of that. Yeah. But, but, you know, it was good. But don't forget, you know, it was 13 episodes. It's not network TV where you're doing 22, yeah. 24 and residuals. Yeah. You know, these were residuals, but nothing near, you know, nothing even close. So for the first years, I mean, I, listen, I made it and then some, but I had to do what I had to do. Uh, the guys would tease me. Where are you going this weekend? I would get uh, uh, an appearance for 10 grand, 15 grand, you know, uh, real money, you know. Yeah. I would go here, go there, you know, not the not the autograph signing, but a casino. Oh, yeah. You know, we would all do them. Then even Jim did them. Jim and Tony Sirico and Michael and, and Johnny V and all of us would go. Lorraine, you know. Uh, so that helped. That helped. At one point, we were making quite a bit of money doing those things without, like I said, without selling my soul, you know. Uh, but... You know, you had to do what you got to do. You people assume you're rich. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I told you, I I was. You know, I did Sopranos. I was bartending again after it. You know, it's like people go, "What?" You're like, "Yeah, yeah. I think I made uh, twenty nine hundred an episode that first year." You know, I did like eight episodes. I mean, you know, it's not. It was at the time. I was like, okay, um, you know, it was. Well, you got to do it. I mean, you oh, got to do, do it. It's, it's incredible, and that has paid dividends. You know, moving forward, uh, I think I told you. You know, I'm I'm like my fourth day on the West Wing, and there someone comes over to me at craft service and goes, "What was it like being on Sopranos?" Oh yeah, you, know, you had to do it. You know, you yeah. had all that would always happen, and and that's you know, that's why you do it. But I just like you. I, I appreciate you saying. You know, kind of telling this because I don't, I don't think people really get it or believe that. And what I love about you is you kind of like, you, you're, you're constantly, you got a, a side hustle going and Always. you just did what you had to do. And, and even, you know, now with, I mean, talking Sopranos for anybody who's listening and doesn't know, it's a, it's a gigantic podcast and Steve does it with Michael Imperioli and it's, you know, it's a, it's one of the big ones, I think. And so I, I actually hearing this story makes me so much more psyched for you for talking Sopranos now. Cause it's like, you're getting, you know, you're kind of like getting back pay for probably what you should have had yeah, back yeah, then. But you know, know some, but you know, some, I'll tell you this, you know, and a lot of people don't, like I said, I'm in the business. I don't want to sound like a pompous asshole, the Steve Sharippa business, but after the Sopranos ends, okay. It ends in June of 2007. We were like booked with appearances. You know, uh, you know, we used to do a show also, Comedy You Can't Refuse, that I put together with me and Michael and Johnny V and Vince Caratola. You know, when we had those long breaks, we made money, you know. But it's like, okay, we were filled up to the end of the year. 
come January, all the fanfare, everything goes away. Goes away. Uh, all right, now what, man? Now it's a little scary. I bought an apartment when the show ended in New York. You know, uh, I had money. I saved money, made good money. Uh, you know, as the years went on, they paid me. I was very happy, you know, HBO. As the years went on, uh, I was fairly paid. And then I get a call from a new show on uh, ABC Family. It's Molly Ringwall and Shailene Woodley, who's a big star now. Yeah. And they send me, they offer me three episodes. And they say they can't fly you or put you up. Same fucking deal. Yeah, after you and did I all read that. the script, and I had read it, and had my daughter, who at the time was like 14, I said, what do you think? Because it was a teenage show. She said, I think it's good. And I fucking did it again. And I flew myself out, and a buddy of mine owns a hotel on Sunset and gave it to me. And I did two, and then the third one, they decided to fly me, and I wind up doing 110 episodes. Wow. Okay, so once again, another guy would have went, fuck that. Right? I just got just come off the Sopranos. You're not going to fly me? You're not going to pay me? I'm not doing that. I did it. And 110 episodes, it turned out to be an incredible gig with a credible showrunner, Brenda Hampton. I enjoyed every minute. We did 24 episodes a season. Wow. And I was a series regular and she flew me, and I flew three or four times a month out there. Then, when I came to do Blue Bloods, they offered me one, maybe two, and it was top of show. You know, once again, my last quote is, you know, a lot of money. I said I'd do it. I did eight episodes at that, and then... Uh, all produced and they are more than fair with the money and we took care of that and now I've done 85 or 86 of those at a new at a newer rate at a better rate oh yeah, yeah a way yeah, better yeah, rate way better yeah. rate yeah. Yeah. yeah but do you know what I'm saying I yeah, mean another yeah. guy would have went top of show me I was a series regular I was made six figures uh, my last season of The Sopranos are you crazy no I'm going this is a great show this is a great cast I like the writing I'm going to fucking dip my toe in there, is right. I enjoyed it. When they offered me more, it took more. And, Good for you. You know, there's a lot of people. People got to think in those terms. You really got to think long term, you know? It's a fine line because there's like the, yeah, it's like taking, just taking the crumbs, you can never get out of it. And then there's also the not taking it personally and going, I'm going to do a great job for you. And, and um, you know, uh, look, I have a similar situation right now with the job. I came, I came on to the show I'm on right now as a you know local hire. Flew myself there, stayed on my cousin's couch, did it, top of show, and then they uh, made me a regular and um, totally That's different situation. You know, but I've had a career of not that. I've had a career of like, you know, it's been by hook or by crook. But I think you're right. Like you, you're. Again, I'm just coming back to that that recurring theme with you is like 
relationships, it seems to me, relationships and loyalty and and hustle, hustle. I mean, you're you work, well, you, you work I mean, hard. Not, you know, listen, they're not uh, Matt, they're not coming knocking my door down. I mean, yeah, I get offered stuff. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know. I'm not saying that, but they're not banging my door down. You know, I had a I had a deal with ABC at one point. Uh, you know, uh, a development deal. Uh, I always I had shows with Discovery, Spike TV, three seasons. I had a show. It was a secondary show. Uh, I did two, three seasons on Discovery, four seasons. I created a show. You know, I mean, uh, you know, they're not come banging. If people think they are, you're out of your mind. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm a 60-fucking-year-old 60 fat white guy. <laughs> you, know? you know, let's not kid ourselves. You know, I mean, uh, I'm working on stuff now. You know, we did the podcast, me and Michael. It became very successful. It's going to be a book coming out in the fall. We pitched it around as a TV show. We got some nibbles, but it, you know, we didn't. I'm working on something else now uh, uh, about the comedy club business uh, during COVID. You know, uh, I'm not as hungry as I once was, to be honest, but uh, I'm hoping we get another season of Blue Bloods. There was nothing I would like more than that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you got to believe in yourself and you've got to. You know, you can't just go, yeah, well, my agent's going to take care of that. And I got a meeting with, so it means nothing. It means fucking nothing. I remember early on, somebody said, well, my father knows Martin Scorsese's agent, and he's going to put my headshot on his desk. And I said, well, what's that going to do? Then what happens? Yeah. <laughs> then what the fuck's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. I think people mistakenly think that too if you know someone they're gonna they're gonna get you a job it's like uh you know it doesn't it doesn't hurt but that's not gonna that's not gonna you want to know something matt it only gets you so far right could you get two lines on the show yeah you know i don't care who you are i don't care if george steinbrenner you're his grandson if you can't hit the fucking curveball you're not playing for the yankees you have to deliver the goods at some time, some point. You got to deliver the goods. And that's, uh, I'm a big believer in that. It only gets you so far. Yeah, all right, so-and-so got me audition. They know so-and-so. Sometimes it's a mercy audition, which I hate. Don't, and I told my agent, who, who I've been with for many years now, don't ever get me like a mercy audition. Like, they yeah. didn't want me. And you force them to take me. I, I'm not interested. Yeah, I don't want that. You know, I don't want to go in there. Yeah, but if I get in there, they're gonna love me. That's not for me. They don't want me. We'll move on. Yeah, agreed. Let Let's go. I I want. I could sit here and talk to you forever. I'm hoping Blue Bloods gets another season. City on a Hill gets another season. We'll be in the same hey, city. I love, listen, I'm out. a big fan of City on a Hill. Oh, thanks. I'm like, that's a good show. It's a really good show to be a part of. It's a fun now, one. It's it's, it's I, pretty cool. I think cool. it's really well acted, and Kevin Bacon's great, and yeah. really the whole cast. I I, I uh, I've been watching that show. I like it very much. Uh, that's cool to hear. Let me let me give you three final questions, and I let you go, and then hopefully we actually you know at some point next year have a have a a meal together. Um, all right. The word no means what to you? Uh 
I, you know, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. There's a way around it, you know. Uh, let me talk to him, you know, even even in everyday life, not even not even in acting. You know, well, they, you know, my daughter would say, well, they said we can't do this. Well, let, let, let me talk to him. You mind if I call him? <laughs> let me try. I love that image. Then, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, my first book agent, uh, half a schmuck, uh, <laughs> we sign we sign a deal. So the, 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 listen, Matt, the book becomes a New York Times bestseller. The stars were lined up. My storyline gets big on Sopranos. The book, there's hundreds of people at bookstores, signings. We make number 13 on the New York Times bestseller list. Wow. Yeah. Four or 500 people, no lie. The book is still, still sells. Okay. Uh, I signed the next deal was for a pretty big deal. I say I want, make it for two books. It was more about that longevity than one book, you know, out, you know. So we, good money. I, we, we made the deal like, okay, I'll take it, da, da, da. Now I need to talk to him. I forget what question I had. I really fucking had a question. Really important. He won't call me back. It was like he's one of these agents like, you know, turn him and burn him, turn him and burn him. I need to talk to him. He won't call me back. I call numerous times. Finally, I call his assistant. I say, listen, is he in? No. I'm down the corner <laughs> on a payphone. If he doesn't call me back in the next couple minutes, I'm coming up. She said, excuse me? I said, you tell him I'm coming up there. I'm down the block. In the meantime, I was in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough he fucking calls me back are you fucking threatening me I said you bet your motherfucking ass I'm threatening you you fucking won't call me back you know that's another thing a pet peeve of mine you fucking call me back there was people I didn't like when I was an executive in Vegas that I didn't want to book I would call them back to tell them to never call me again. Matt, hey, is this Matt Del, Del Negro? Yeah, Matt, listen, I, I I don't think you're funny. You're not for this room. I don't think you're a good comic. I could be wrong. Good luck to you. Please don't call me no more. Yeah, good for you. It's the worst thing in this business when you don't, yeah. you don't own here. It goes, you, you you do something, it's like in a vacuum. You'd rather be told no than They'll say not, no, nothing. they'll say, hey, you know what? It just didn't work out or whatever. I mean, I've had a million of those. And then they see you and they're up your ass. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to fucking me now. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. What about a what about a saying or, you know, some kind of phrase or mantra or something when everything goes sideways? You got anything that, that you kind of live by or that gets you through? They reshuffle the cards every morning, okay? Every morning the cards are reshuffled. Right now, well, you may not be working, or you may be working, but tomorrow morning, the reshuffle of the cards. Your agent calls and says, Matt, there's a show on ABC and they want to see you, and everything changes. Every morning, everything changes. Sometimes for the bad, but sometimes for the good. You're down in the dumps, you're dead fucking busted, you get the call. 
Uh, you do a pilot, suddenly the pilot becomes friends. You're a star overnight. The pilot becomes the Big Bang Theory. They're multi-multi-millionaire and famous all over the world. Like that. That is such an awesome expression because I've, <laughs> you know, heard the, 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 you know, equivalent to that. I've never heard that particular expression. I love it. I'm going to steal it. Go ahead. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> then the, the last one is, if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? You know, I, I got to be honest. I got, I'll be honest with you. I don't have that many regrets. You know, I mean, uh, I don't have too many regrets. I also was very lucky. I did stupid things like we all do. Luckily, that that. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what. Everything you do, there's consequences. Consequences. And a lot of people don't realize that. You, 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 you know, you rob a car now, there's consequences 20 years ago. You get a girl pregnant when you're young or whatever it is. Uh, you know, you told somebody to go fuck themselves. You hit someone. You did something wrong. There's consequences down the road. You know, Matt? And even at my age. There's stuff that guys did years ago and they've had to live with this, you know. You know, yeah. you, you knew you knew that the girl was no good for you or you treated her wrong or whatever you did back then, you're gonna very likely pay for it today, which we see in the Me Too movement. A lot of these fucking guys thought they were bulletproof and invincible and people like Harvey Weinstein and, you know, all these kind of people who've done shit and then you pay the price now. Yeah. You know, there's consequences. Every, every action has a consequence, good and bad. Yeah. I was going to say good and bad. Like you put in the work and you get a, you get a, a, a good result later on. Maybe not exactly yeah, you, as you saw it, but, or as you wanted listen, it. But. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, you know, Matt, a, a lot of it's out of your hands. You know, when you're an actor or a singer or you're in the arts, it's just out of your hands. I mean, you work hard. You can only do what you could do. There's a lot of right place, right time. I mean, you know, listen, look at Jim Gandolfini. Great actor. You know, he was making a living. We had conversations about it. He wasn't a star. He never expected to be a star beyond his biggest yeah. dreams. You know what I mean? Uh, he never expected that, ever, to, for that to happen. They wrote the right role for him that he could showcase what he's got. They reshuffled the cards that morning. You know, I mean, think about it. You know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I, you see people on a show and you, you know, listen, you work with people and you go, I'm sure you feel this. They're no different than me. They're no different than me. And you're working with someone that's had a big reputation or a big actor. You go, eh, he's the same as me. Yeah. He's a bigger star than me, but, yeah, you know, there's a whole bunch of really good actors. Yep. <laughs> yep. There's a lot of talented people out there. And, you, you know, it's like you, you, you kind of every day, it's a good reminder, pinch myself every day, get, get paid to do this, get paid to, Absolutely. You know. There's times that even now I, I, I'm doing a scene and I go, you know, this is pretty fucking cool. And yeah. I've done, you know, thousands of scenes and you go, you know, this is pretty fucking cool. I'm one of the lucky ones, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm one of the, 
whatever you want to call it. I mean, not that we're doing God's work because we're not. We're just seeing other people's lines. That's another thing. Uh, People, I feel, take it way too serious. Somebody writes the lines and I'm going to say them the best way possible. I'm not doing brain surgery here. Yeah. 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 Keep it. Keep it real. Steve, uh, thank you. I mean, I, I, I feel lucky to sit down with you and, and to get this much time with you is awesome. You're just, talking to you, man. Yeah, thank you're hysterical and you're, you're uh, you know, it, it's just sitting here talking to you makes me go like, well, yeah, no wonder. No wonder this guy decided at a late age he's going to do this and he works so much. You're just, you're, you're just so, uh, you kind of, very refreshing. You are, you are so, so comfortable in your own skin. I love it. I really appreciate you doing this with me. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Good luck. Good luck on the new season and I'll talk to you. All right. What we do here is go back, 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 back. All right. I love that conversation. As I told you, I'm doing more than the typical top three takeaways. We've got top five takeaways today. Number one, the barter system of life. Steve has street smarts and hearing how he operated is a great lesson for all of us to use what we've already got available to us. I was in a position to do uh, favors for people. You know, when you're in a position to do favors for people, you get favors back, right? The border system of life. I could call Caesar's Palace, get tickets, you know, to Frank Sinatra in a second, you know. Uh, hey, I'm coming in, or Celine Dion, or whatever the big act was. Uh, I could go to dinner anywhere. I would do favors for them. Number two, know your worth and be clear about your goals. People don't always want to go out of their way to help you. So sometimes you got to draw a line in the sand. I sat him down. I, 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 I'm going to get someone to help me. I want to try to really do this. You know, I'm going to try. If you're not going to help me, I said it nicely, but loud and clear. If you're not going to help me, I'm going to get somebody else to help me. You know, uh, I'm going to give it a shot. So he said, I'll help you. Number three, invest in yourself. You know, you got to invest in yourself. I mean, I was looking at myself and I still do to this day, Matt. I'm a business. And, you know, Steve Shrip is a business and I need to spend some money, invest in certain things. Really, what I love so much about Steve and this entire conversation is that he doesn't shy away from admitting to all of us that he's always had to hustle. Even when he was on the greatest show in television history, he was investing in himself on the side, putting his time in creating projects, signing autographs, even holding down a job in a whole different industry. Those investments gave him the freedom to do acting jobs for less money than others would do them for. And that ultimately gave him the time with great artists for them to see that he was not only talented, but also just a great guy that they would be lucky to keep around. Number four, Choose your teammates wisely. Like another wife would have went, what are you doing? You're 40 years old. You got two kids. You're going to disrupt our life. I mean, you know, you know, and she said, no, Uh, go ahead, go. This subject comes up a lot on this show because it's true. Whether it's your spouse, your friends, your family, if you surround yourself with people that are not trying to help you be the best version of yourself, it's going to be an uphill battle. Actually, it's always going to be an uphill battle. Life is full of challenges. 
but choosing the right teammates makes it easier, not to mention makes the journey more fun. And number five, which is actually two parts, I apologize, is at the end of the day, you got to be able to actually do the thing itself. You got to be able to execute, not just market and strategize. You know, I, I talked about Steve's ability to use the barter system, but that only gets you so far. The overall premise of these next two quotes from Steve is closers close. You better be ready when they, the bell rings. You know, Matt, you better be ready when the bell rings. Because I do feel if you do this long enough and continue to do it the right way, you're going to get an opportunity sooner or later. And you have to cash in on that opportunity. And this final quote. I don't care who you are. I don't care if George Steinbrenner, you're his grandson. If you can't hit the fucking curveball, you're not playing for the Yankees. You have to deliver the goods at some time. Some point. You got to deliver the goods. All right, that is it. Steve Sharippa, thank you so much, brother. Great, great, great to sit down with you. Everyone, thank you for listening. Again, if you want to go check out the 10,000 Nose Insiders, you can go to 10,000nose.com or just click the link for it in the show notes. That'll take you to a place where you'll see a video and more details about what it is. But really, if you're looking for a community that's going to be safe and it's going to be encouraging, it's going to give you real facts from someone who's actually doing what you're looking to do, you should check it out. 10,000 knows insiders community. If you dig this podcast, uh, we always ask you, please share it with your friends, your family, text it to them. You can, uh, you can email it to them. You could put it on your social media tag at Maddie Dell at 10,000 knows. That would be great. Gets the word out, leave a five-star rating, leave a great review. It helps other people know that this show is out there and all this information is there for them to learn, to help them on their path. That is it. We will see you soon. Thanks again for checking in with us. And uh, we know there are a lot of options out there. So we appreciate you choosing 10,000 No's. 